Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. By listening, you are becoming a part of our River Talks community. We're so excited to have you. River Talks are recorded live in Nashville, Tennessee at the Cumberland River Compact's River Center. Today we are very excited to host Amanda Garcia from the Southern Environmental Law Center. Uh, Ms. Garcia is the managing attorney of the Tennessee Office of the Southern Environmental Law Center, and her team work across the state to protect Tennessee's clean water, clean air, and special places using a full range of regulatory, legal, and communication tools. Today she will share about some of the recent federal rulings and the impacts that they have locally. As you listen, I encourage you to consider how these rollbacks may impact you locally and what you care about, and maybe even some of the connections that you've learned through other River Talks. We hope you enjoy hearing from Amanda Garcia on this week's River Talk. Thank you, and thank you, Catherine, for that wonderful introduction. I am really excited to hear the connections that you all might make uh, between some of the, uh, the federal policies that I'm going to talk about and local impacts and issues that you're seeing on the ground here in Tennessee as well. I'm going to talk about a few of them, but I hope that there will be time at the end uh, for you all to ask questions and also share some of the other ways in which federal policies are affecting our local environment or threaten to affect our local environment. So as Catherine mentioned, I am Amanda Garcia. I'm the managing attorney of the Tennessee office of the Southern Environmental Law Center. Um, just a little bit more about the Southern Environmental Law Center. Oops, we are a um, regional law and policy organization. We operate in six states throughout the Southeast. So in addition to our Tennessee office, we also have offices in Virginia, North and South Carolina, Alabama, and Georgia. And we um, use the power of the law to protect our clean water, our clean air, and the special places that we love. Um, so what exactly does that mean? Well, we use place-based advocacy um, to advance public health and environmental protections. So we are very rooted in the communities that we serve. We have lawyers on the ground in all six states that we operate in. And because of that, we are able to um, operate at a pretty sophisticated level in terms of understanding the legal framework, the local, state, and federal legal framework, as well as the political dynamics um, and social and cultural dynamics in our communities. And we leverage that in our participation in federal policies and federal, um, federal rulemaking. So we're, when we speak about federal policy changes, we're coming from a place of deep knowledge of the place that we live in and love, which is the Southeast. Um, so we are, uh, the topic today is federal rollbacks local impacts, how national policies affect Tennessee's clean water. Um, and I said this in my interview with, with Catherine, but national policy changes can feel and seem really abstract. But if the current administration's rollback uh, efforts are successful, they could fundamentally threaten our clean water in Tennessee. Today I'm going to talk about four of those fundamental threats and what SELC is doing to address them. So the four threats I'll talk about 
talk about the scope of protections of the, clean, of the Federal Clean Water Act. Um, second, uh, loosening the standards that prohibit utilities from operating their coal ash pits as open dumps. Third, opening the door to more surface coal mining in Tennessee and elsewhere. And fourth, making decisions about public lands behind closed doors. So there are many other national policies that affect our clean water, including the current administration's efforts to undo limits on greenhouse gas pollution and their refusal to meaningfully protect our drinking water sources from harmful industrial toxins such as PFAS or per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. You may have heard of the one that's called Gen X. Um, SELC is involved in addressing those threats as well, but today I'm going to focus on the four that I just mentioned. So first, uh, shrinking the scope of protections of the Clean Water Act. And I am actually going to show you um, a, a great explainer video that Blan Hallman, um, the lead attorney on our Clean Water Defense Initiative, put together that talks, that provides a little bit of context for the Clean Water Act and um, the current administration's proposals to undo the protections that we've had in place for my entire life. <laughs> um, so we're, we're, the current administration's proposal, if it's upheld, that have been in place for a generation and um, have made significant strides in cleaning up our waters across the country. So now I will cue Blan here. So that uh, video was put together last year. Um, the bad news is the Trump administration has finalized uh, the, their rollback proposal. The good news is SELC is on the job and we will be challenging it in court. Um, uh, agencies have to have a reasoned basis for <clears throat> their uh, decisions and rulemakings, and we will be arguing that the, um, that, the, that the Trump administration's rollback on the Clean Water the, on the Clean Water Act, the definition of waters of the United States, does not have that. If the uh, administration's proposal stands, um, what could that mean for our clean water here in Tennessee? Well, you heard Bland talking about wetlands um, and ephemeral streams and intermittent streams. At least 78% of Tennesseans get their drinking water from sources that rely on these small streams that are projected to lose protection under the administration's proposal. So this is a drinking water issue. It's also, as Catherine pointed out earlier, a um, species habitat issue. So if you care about the critters who, uh, who need the, these streams, these intermittent streams and ephemeral streams like the streamside salamander, it's an issue for them. Um, it's also an issue for uh, business. So, we put together some statistics about how much, uh, how much money is involved, uh, how much money in Tennessee relies on clean water. Um, and we get a lot of, uh, Tennesseans love their water. <laughs> and in particular, 
Um, in addition to drinking clean water, we like to play in clean water. So um, a lot of our counties rely on tourism dollars that come from uh, fishing, from paddling, from all the different ways that we like to engage in recreation on our rivers and streams. And as Bland pointed out, those rivers and streams that are big enough for us to do those activities in rely on the health of the upstream um, areas that are more intermittent or ephemeral. Um, $1.1 billion spent on fishing in our state, $2.9 billion spent on wildlife recreation. The wildlife need clean water to drink just like we do. Um, and then of course, we're in Tennessee, so we have a pretty big um, spirits industry. And uh, I don't think any of us want our next um, craft brew uh, laced with arsenic or the other types of contaminants that might come around as a result of rollbacks on, um, on protecting our clean water. The other thing that Bland mentioned, which is also a huge issue in Tennessee, is wetlands protection. So um, we uh, have already lost a significant percentage of our wetlands here in Tennessee. And um, we have also, like the other states in the Southeast, seen a huge uh, increase in flooding associated with major storm events. And of course, being here in Nashville, no one can forget the 2010 flood. Um, large swaths of the western part of our state were flooded uh, this winter. And um, reducing the amount of wetlands that we have here in Tennessee will exacerbate those uh, issues over time. So as Glenn mentioned, even though the comment period has already closed on the, um, the, the current administration's proposal, it's still worthwhile to um, go to protectsouthernwater.org if you're interested in being involved as more um, put on the table to reduce protections for our clean water in Tennessee and across the southeast. So I encourage you to visit protectsouthernwater.org. The next uh, rollback that I want to talk about is loosening the standards that prohibit utilities from operate, operating coal ash pits as open dumps. Um, I think most folks in Tennessee are familiar with coal ash. We had in 2008 the uh, catastrophic Kingston disaster, which uh, released a billion gallons of coal ash sludge into the Clinch and Emory Rivers near Harriman, Tennessee. We're still dealing with the aftermath of that spill. Um, as many people are aware, the, the coal ash cleanup workers who um, were first responders after that are currently suing TVA's contractor for failing to protect them from the chemicals that are in coal ash, like mercury, arsenic, um, many toxic chemicals. And those chemicals are all, uh, or pollutants are also the reason why um, coal ash uh, needs to be regulated um, and after the Kingston spill, um, the federal EPA put out a rule called the Federal Coal Ash Rule, which is a set of federal minimum standards 
that if utilities don't meet in managing their coal ash, they are considered open dumps. So um, that rule was finalized in 2015 and uh, utilities began uh, complying with it. One of the first things they had to do, and it's kind of shocking that they'd been storing coal ash and leaking online for 60 years before they were required to do this, but they had to start monitoring the groundwater um, under these leaking unlined pits to find out, is there arsenic, is there mercury, is there lead, what is going on uh, in the groundwater under these pits that don't have a liner. So I'm going to um, share an early success story of the federal coal ash rule, and this is another um, video segment that features some work that we did a couple years ago. So the good news uh, <laughs> coming out of that is that uh, TVA subsequently um, has been, has agreed under significant public pressure and pressure by the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation to actually remove the coal ash from the coal ash pits at Allen. Um, the same hole in the clay layer that would pose a risk of pulling the contaminated water down into the drinking water source is a risk to the city's drinking water source regardless of whether they operate their wells. Um, so the, uh, the TVA has committed to excavating the coal ash at Allen and actually there is an environmental impact statement that has just been released for public review if anybody is interested in reading about the different alternatives TVA is considering and weighing in on that. Um, another piece of good news is that the Southern Environmental Law Center and Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation um, entered into a settlement agreement with Tennessee Valley Authority to excavate and clean up all of the coal ash in the leaking unlined pits at the Gallatin fossil plant. Um, so that, uh, that settlement agreement um, became final in summer of this year and there will be an environmental review process and, um, and clean up there. Uh, a couple of pieces of bad news. First, um, the Tennessee Valley Authority uh, has six other coal ash sites throughout Tennessee. So a couple in, um, or several in East Tennessee and a couple uh, in the Middle Tennessee area as well. And uh, those are being evaluated right now under an administrative order that was um, put out by the commissioner of the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation, but we don't yet know what, uh, what TVA will be required to do there. I can say that other states are increasingly recognizing the risk that coal ash poses to our clean water and requiring uh, utilities to remove the coal ash from the leaking unlined pits and either recycle it or put it in dry lined storage. So in the, in the other states in the, the southeast, um, in Virginia, the General Assembly passed legislation that requires Dominion Energy to excavate all of the coal ash from all of its sites. Um, and either recycle it or put it in dry line storage. In North Carolina, it's been a mix of uh, enforcement 
actions, um, and most recently the, the state uh, required um, Duke Energy to excavate the remaining, the, the coal ash pits that were not already under an obligation to be excavated. Um, South Carolina is excavating all of its coal ash, and um, in Georgia, Georgia Power has committed to excavating uh, coal ash at, at some of its power plants, but not all of them. So Tennessee is a little bit behind the curve in terms of what's happening in the other states in our region. But like I said, um, there are a couple of different options that we think are more environmentally protective. Nothing is perfect. What would be perfect is if we weren't burning coal in the first place and generating the nation's second largest um, industrial waste stream. But the two options are recycling, and the, um, coal ash can be recycled into a product that's used in concrete. So um, it can go into concrete, and when it's in that encapsulated form, the toxins don't pose the same risk. The other place it can go is into a dry, lined landfill. So rather than being in a leaking, unlined pit, there's a protective barrier between the coal ash and the um, the water sources. Um, so this is just a picture of how historically we have uh, we have stored coal ash in the southeast and in TVA territory in general. This is Bull Run, and you can see these are um, these are ash impoundments. They are held back from the river by dirt berms. Sometimes the dirt berms are also built partially of coal ash, um, and you can see this one very clearly was like was built into the original stream bed of Bull Run Creek. So if you look at um, topographical maps from before the impoundment was there, you can actually see the blue line stream going through uh, where the coal ash impoundment is today. Um, so uh, the vice piece talked about the different, or talk, mentioned that the current administration has proposed rolling back the, some of the protections in the federal coal ash rule. Um, the, the Memphis story of Allen is really a success story for the groundwater monitoring provisions of that rule and the public disclosure provisions. TVA came forward because they knew they were gonna be required to disclose that information publicly under the coal ash rule. And um, right now we are facing proposals that would reduce the amount of groundwater monitoring that utilities would, ne would need to do. So there are a series of proposals that the Trump administration has put out. Um, but the most recent ones have to do with actually being able to use coal ash as fill in construction projects. So um, I just mentioned that having coal ash unencapsulated <laughs> is not a good idea because of the toxic chemicals that it contains. Um, but the Trump administration wants to loosen the restrictions on being able to use coal ash in construction projects as fill. Um, they also want to redefine um, the, what's considered a CCR pile or a coal ash pile so that it would not have to be treated like a landfill but rather could just be sitting out um, and not being monitored. So those are some of, the, um, some, some of the ways in which the rollbacks are happening. 
Um, in the coal ash context, we're participating in those rulemaking processes as well, as well as monitoring TVA's implementation of the coal ash rule. Um, TVA actually held an open house at Allen a couple of days ago to talk about their, uh, their removal plans, and TVA's new CEO said that they do more than the minimum standards that are required by the federal coal ash rule. Um, but I think their actions speak louder than their words, and so far they've had to be forced to clean up coal ash um, at the two sites where they've done so. And the coal ash rule is really a vital tool in um, our efforts to get TVA to join the other utilities in the region to clean up their coal ash. The third, uh, the third topic I wanted to talk about um, is surface mining. And here I'm not gonna talk about a particular policy um, because as you probably know, <laughs> just from reading the nightly newspaper, um, the Trump administration has really been focused on a number of uh, ways to try to revive the um, ailing coal industry um, throughout, throughout the country. Um, Similar to the rest of the country, in Tennessee, coal mining has been in decline, and so we really only have a few operational coal mines left in East Tennessee. Um, however, we are seeing an uptick in um, efforts to engage in surfing, surface mining in Tennessee. And one that is top of mind for me right now is a proposal to mine in the North Cumberland Plateau. So, um, a few years ago, and some of you all may remember this, um, Tennessee, uh, well actually almost 10 years ago, in 2010 the state of Tennessee petitioned the Federal Department of Interior to set aside um, thousands of acres and protect them from surface coal mining in the North Cumberland Plateau. Um, the state, uh, that went through an extensive process. Um, the Department of Interior at the very end of 2016 designated actually more than um, had initially requested. And they did that uh, both to protect water quality, wildlife, and um, this little guy. <laughs> this is the cerulean warbler, um, a songbird. Uh, who lives in the hardwood forests in the North Cumberland Plateau. Um, the, uh, so the, the lands, once this was federally designated unsuitable for mining, that meant it was off limits, it is off limits <laughs> to new surface mining. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we have recently seen an, a an old application become new again to mine in an area that is within the land's unsuitable designated area. Um, and you can see this, the, the solid blue is the area of overlap with the area that has been designated unsuitable for mining. And um, when we learned about this, we of course immediately sent in objections. Um, we're working with several other groups, um, including National Parks Conservation Association, Tennessee Environmental Council, and Tennessee Ornithological Society. Um, we sent in uh, a letter to the Office of Surface Mining saying, hey, wait, you can't do this. This is in an area that's been set aside 
um, this area is protected from surface mining. Uh, but they have so far um, ignored us and are proceeding to process the application. So um, there's actually a public hearing on this uh, next week, next Tuesday night in Jacksboro, Tennessee. And I um, included the information here about uh, that public hearing, not so much because I think that y'all, who are probably Nashvilleans, <laughs> will be joining me in Jacksboro, Tennessee, but you can also submit written comments um, to object to the Office of Surface Mining's processing of this permit in an area that has been set aside to be protected from surface mining. Um, the, last, the last rollback that I wanted to talk about is, has to do with our national forests. Um, so you might be thinking, what does national forests necessarily have to do with clean water? But obviously, um, there are a lot of creeks that run through our national forests, and there are a lot of activities that take place in national forests that can have um, an adverse impact on water quality. So um, I want to start with some good news here, too, which is that at the end of 2018, um, Congress passed the Tennessee Wilderness Act, which uh, set aside 20,000 acres of, uh, of additional land as wilderness within the Cherokee Forest. That land will be protected from logging. It, it will be um, undisturbed. And that's great news for trout fishermen because it uh, protects the, the trout streams in the Bald River watershed. Um, and folks throughout the South like their wilderness areas, maybe equally as much as they like their water recreation. So um, we uh, conducted a study in partnership with some other organizations that showed that 89% of, um, of the folks in our region support wilderness preservation, support more designations of wilderness. <clears throat> These are some of the most popular activities, and you'll notice swimming is one of them. So clean water matters a lot if you like to swim in your national forest. And um, we've got some great wilderness areas in the Cherokee National Forest, the Big Laurel Branch Wilderness, and the Bald River Gorge Wilderness. So, unfortunately, um, you know, logging is just one of our national forest uses. Um, but the current uh, administration has put out a rule, a proposed rule, that would basically take all of the decision-making about timber sales um, and move it out of public view and behind closed doors. So you could show up at your favorite hiking trail in the Cherokee National Forest one day and find that the area had been logged and there had been no prior public notice or environmental review of that decision. Um, NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, is the tool that we use as the public to voice our preferences about how our public lands are used. So our, our national forests, 
the lands that TVA manages. Many of us enjoy recreating on um, the reservoirs that TVA uh, manages. So this is a big deal that the Forest Service wants to move all of its timber sale decision-making behind closed doors. Um, just to highlight the importance of NEPA as a, as a tool, last year we actually sued the Forest Service because they were proposing a timber sale in an area that would have had steep slopes, would result in a lot of erosion, and would um, severely impact the water quality of trout streams that were um, that were in the in the logging area. Um, and we used NEPA to do that. We we said you didn't uh, you didn't disclose the impacts that this project would. Uh, would cause and you didn't adequately involve the public in your decision making. And we prevailed. The Forest Service withdrew its ill-conceived um, timber sale in the aftermath of, of that uh, lawsuit. So NEPA is a powerful tool for making your voice heard both on the front end and for making sure your voice is heard um, uh, using litigation as a tool if you need to. Um, and the Forest Service is not the only agency that is in, engaged in these types of rollbacks. So actually before the Forest Service put out this, um, its proposed rule, the Tennessee Valley Authority put out a rule that would similarly move most of its decision making behind closed doors. Um, and that rule has not progressed beyond proposal at this point. We submitted um, over 100 pages of comments objecting to various portions of the TVA rule. We did similar, we took similar measures with respect to the Forest Service proposed rule, and we're just gonna have to stay tuned to see how those uh, potential rollbacks, those proposed rollbacks play out, but they would have a significant impact on our ability to um, weigh in on how our public lands are managed. And this is another one where you can keep tabs on what's happening um, with the Forest Service rule by going to ourforestsourvoice.org. The comment period is closed, but there may well be additional actions um, and certainly more information about the Forest Service proposal there. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this week's speaker. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about River Talks, please visit cumberlandrivercompact.org. We hope to see you at our next River Talk in Nashville, Tennessee.